Phil Conkey, uh, Hunk Quietly Podcast here with myself, David Fontenot. Phil, how are you doing today? I am doing well. And yourself? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Um, just a gray, cold day here in Denver, and which is a, a sharp turn from our 60 degrees and sunny this weekend. So, uh, Man, we have the same. It's been gray and snowy and cloudy and windy for the last two months here, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. We were on with the South Dakota bow hunter, uh, bow hunters association guys on Sunday and everyone, Matt's Miles city and, uh, Justin's in, um, I think he said, uh, in Eastern South Dakota and they were all complaining about the weather, but I had a nice day that day, but now I'm paying for it. So it is what it is. It's been a rough winter, but we need it here. We need some moisture. So yeah. Yeah. I think that I've been reading that the snowpack is going to help uh, a lot of the reservoirs in Colorado, um, oh, some good, of which yeah. are down 10 feet. It's not going to cure the drought, obviously, but potentially, uh, I don't know, I can't remember the article, but potentially if this were to keep up, it could fill some of the reservoirs um, and kind of help with some of those water issues we've been having. So, you know, yeah, can't get rain, I guess, snow is the next best alternative ton of water back in the system so we need it yeah definitely so you and i i i know so i run the for people who don't know i run the hunt quietly instagram that's like my main contribution to hunt quietly right now along with doing some random other side projects with matt um jumping into hosting the podcast a little bit just because running the instagram has afforded me i think the opportunity to connect with a lot of people and just start that conversation and Matt has his own pipeline going. So, and we like getting alternative views, you know, Matt has a tendency to rant uh, about, you know, his gripe and, um, and, and the hung quietly platform. Um, so I think it's, I think it's great to get uh, different people in. Um, but you and I, I noticed you followed us probably like two or three weeks ago. And only because I saw the blue check mark, which, you know, if anyone with a blue check mark follows us, like I noticed that just because well, I don't have a blue know. check mark, but I think it shows up as the priority. Yeah. You show up as that's what it is. You show yeah. up, but you show up like outside, just like Joe Schmo, like hundred followers or whatever. Which is weird. Yeah. It's very <laughs> weird. Um, it's like, they want me to know that people are watching, but <laughs> yeah, I get the um, same thing too. And I had, I, I, fairly certain i had either followed you in the past or seen your profile before um but you've got like ninety thousand followers on instagram you are like probably by definitional standards a hunting influencer but if anyone goes and looks at your page the i mean i only scrolled through maybe the first 50 pictures or so but it's almost all shots of ducks flying on the water you like like a nature page almost which is really caught my eye it was really different um, and then you and I chatted a little bit about kind of what you do in the industry and where Hunt Quietly kind of lines up with you. And I just thought this was a really great conversation, would be a great conversation to have because you are definitely adjacent to the industry, but you're doing things in a way I think that, you know, if the, the if we were to design the influence of the future, like a Hunt Quietly would probably design someone who looks a lot like you. Um, or your page at least. Yeah. I like, um, I like, I like that idea. And I would, I would agree with that. I mean, but probably the big difference with, with that is when I started all this, I wasn't, didn't have right. the goal. I didn't have the goal of being an influencer or being popular. 
Um, I mean, I had to get, I've done photography since before, you know, pretty much before social media was around and I had to be coerced by one of my good friends to start an Instagram page eight, nine years ago or whatever. And I resisted. Mm -hmm. I said, Nope, Nope, Nope. Finally I did it. And I said, you know, if I get 2000 followers, this will be, you know, I'll be delighted. And it's just kind of gone from there. And I haven't ever really done anything to specifically try to get followers. I take pictures and post them and talk about the things that I like and things I'm passionate about and people have connected with it. So that's probably the difference between what I have and maybe the average person that would be called an influencer. Mm -hmm. So what were you doing before you got into the Instagram thing with all those photos and the, and the, and your like any hunting media that you were involved in at that point? Um, so just like a little, so I, I mean, I, you know, I, my, when I had my own podcast, I've told the story a million times and other podcasts have told it, but you know, I just did the photography thing when I was real little, um, got out of it, got started again in the early two thousands, I guess, kind of when digital rolled around and had just a Facebook page and a website. And, you know, and you just, you just didn't get a lot of traffic on any of that. Um, and it was just frustrating. You'd, I would spend all the time taking photos and me and you know five friends would see him and that was it Mm -hmm. and so the instagram thing was was awesome and that was what i was happy about just to have people see the stuff that you know you put the time into and it's cool to have a have a to be able to connect with people that with things that you want to say um you know are Mm like-minded but as far as i don't know if you're referring to work type stuff that i did or whatever um yeah just in general I mean, yeah, I mean, I just started all that as I started as a duck hunter is really mm-hmm. what it is. And I think that's just kind of what that page and what, um, like, hopefully my online persona would would exude is that I'm a duck hunter that's passionate about duck hunting, probably first and foremost. I mean, throughout throughout the summer and the spring and whenever else, I don't really switch gears and go to turkey hunting gear content, or turkey content and fishing like it. I just stay with duck hunting and other than a few random things thrown in here and there, but you know, it's basically duck hunting and that's just kind of what I like. My main thing, of course, I do a lot of other stuff, man, elk hunt and fish and ice fish and all these other things, but this is just about the duck thing. And so, yeah, that's kind of the, the main thing is just, I'm a duck hunter and with a guy that takes photos and likes to share it. Yeah. What do you think about, you know, you said that you, your your page and like kind of this persona or whatever, you know, first and foremost, you just like you're a duck hunter. Like that's kind of what you think shines through. But so many people who are trying to validate those personas on Instagram do so by posting like piles and like all that kind of stuff. But you post living like ducks that are alive. And I presume like um, these photos you're taking, I don't know if they're while hunting or while scouting or whatever, but nobody else seems to really think about it that way. What do, where do you think kind of that came from and, and what, like what's driven you to stay down that path for the most part? Um, you know, there's a couple parts of it. One. So I, I mean, I, I really enjoy the photography aspect of it. Um, and so I like to show off that side of it, whether it's, and then, and then, the, so if you only went 50 posts back, if you were to go back 100, 200, 300, you would see probably more 
um, hunting scenes, you know, decoys and sunrise mm-hmm. stuff and act like not action stuff this way, but just more hunting lifestyle a little bit more. It's definitely, like you said, kind of duck, um, live duck, duck and flight type stuff specific. Um, but I like to, um, I want to keep the, keep that main focus. I might, I have, I forgot what the point of your question was. <laughs> uh, was so like what, what's driven you to stay down that path versus like, you know, especially oh, as like yeah. money has gotten come into play, like with the page, I'm sure like you have like sponsorship opportunities, like what keeps you on that path versus falling, like looking at the rest of influencers and seeing, Oh, here's this model. Like it's a business model, right? Yeah. Post lots of pile picks, go on all these hunts, post guides, get tons of sponsorships, make make a bunch of money, fund your hunting, maybe a full time career. But you stay on your own path, which I have to assume is like maybe like comes with some consequences. You know, they mm-hmm. don't like take as many sponsorships or do whatever. What's kept you on that path? Okay, so there's probably about 10 things on this. You might have to re-get me back on course again once I forget. <laughs> but so, and and yeah, you actually nailed that, right? And that, um, you nailed all of that. So when I started this, I worked for Cabela's in a retail store. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't need gear then because I worked at a place where I could get it all at a discount. Um, so that part was never really a big thing. Um, also, I feel like as soon as I have sponsorships, that you're limited in terms of what you can say and mm-hmm. what you can do, and you have to, and you have to. It has to change your whole, your whole. Um, like you say your persona has to change a little bit. I think when that happens, mm-hmm. and I I quit working at Cabela's in 2018, and since then I've started working for Banded and Avery, which is. Uh, one of the biggest players in the waterfall world in terms of clothing, gear, decoys, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I got and, a bandit jacket. Okay, yeah. And so my my job for them is not an influencer, but it but it comes kind of with the territory with my page. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not going to go out and wear competitors' clothing and highlight their stuff. So, in some form. Um, that that is a little bit intertwined with my job mm-hmm. but i've never but when i started my page was never gear focused it was never um focused on that on on me looking for sponsorships and all that so they didn't expect that necessarily that i was going to be this guy that was you know every other day posting about why our jackets are the best or why our decoys is whatever um and that was kind of something that i talked about before i got hired was you know i i don't i'm not i i'm not comfortable being that guy i i can't do it i'm i just even promoting my own photos online i mean i i barely do it i'll, I'll post mm-hmm. the photo then I'll, I'll i'll the second or third picture back i'll post the the actual photos of the canvas on the wall to try to promote myself that way without doing it blatantly mm-hmm. so i have a hard time doing that for myself much less for another company um mm-hmm. And then, you know, and, and in terms of just not wanting to do the pile picks, I think there's a lot better ways to prove that you have knowledge and skill in this world than just going out and shooting and 
posting pile picks. I mean, honestly, so many people shoot so many ducks in, in a given year that it really isn't that hard, especially with the technology and tools and equipment that it, it can be done relatively easy if you're in the right places. And especially if you have the right group of people around you, mm-hmm. you could literally know nothing and post a season's worth of pile pictures every single day and look like a hero, but not really have, have learned anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, or I mean, I've duck hunted now almost probably 35, over 35 years. And I've had the opportunity because of my jobs that I've, I've taken um, to hunt a lot. I mean, even in my college career, I, I based my college classes and my location around duck hunting. And so I've had way more opportunities than most people my age to hunt a lot. And the things that I've learned um, and with hunting with small groups, I feel like I can, I can show that knowledge, whether it's through the, through the, the bird photos, the duck scenario photos, or the stories that I like to tell um, <clears throat> to show that knowledge that way mm-hmm. and not have to be a, a blatant, you know, here I, I killed all these ducks. Here's a picture of, you know, 20 dead mallards in a pile. Mm-hmm. Now I do, if we want to talk about pile picks more, I'm not a hundred percent against posting them. Um, online like i know like matt is um mm-hmm. but i do do some once in a while and, and i like to do it um, one i will you know mine aren't going to be just a photo of ducks on the tailgate or something like that it's going to be me and my buddies with the scenery in the background well not too much scenery because i don't like to give up where i hunt but a little <laughs> bit of, so you can at least see what's going on yeah and and um i like to have like a story that goes along with it, why this day was good, you know, the conditions, what we did to maybe make something successful um, mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it was, maybe the wind was funny this way or whatever the deal was like, just some little interesting tidbit about the story. And I can elaborate on that rather than just show, you know, here's a bunch of ducks that we killed, but here's what we did, why we did it, why it was enjoyable. And a lot of times I'll also include a bunch of other photos in a, a Instagram post, you know, that, that show the other things, the dog retrieving, the sunrise, mm-hmm. to kind of show all of it. Because to me, I mean, as much as I think that hunting is not just about the kill, I mean, it's definitely about the kill at some point, otherwise we wouldn't do it. Because mm-hmm. right? I I laugh when I see guys post something like, oh, duck hunting is about, it's all about camaraderie and friendship. Like, well, why don't you buddies go out in June and hang out in the marsh then? you're not you're not doing that then or don't take your guns you know it's it is definitely about the hunting part of it as well yeah so so i mean i i do like to include that in there and and it is definitely a part of it for me and so i i guess there's there's ways there's levels of of what is done and there's definitely an overabundance of of the uh the ladder where people just go crazy and that's all their, their page is and Mm-hmm. I just I can't get myself to follow those pages and because it's not it just isn't impressive really. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting because there's definitely like this element of like if if everyone were to do what you were doing and they only posted a picture of like the like the pile or the grip and grin or whatever from a hunt that truly felt special to them for mm-hmm. some like you know, extraordinary reasons. I don't think, I don't think Matt would be here. Uh, you know, I don't think we would be here right now. 
But in, in, in like on the reverse side of that, people, especially influencers, seem to like be desperate to conjure up those stories for every big like animal they take as well, or every hunt they go on. When it's like you know, not every hunt is that special. Oh, was, every hunt is sure. special, but not that special. Like there's I mean, a for big sure. difference. Like had, I could have posted tons of pictures this year with like greenheads, you know, in Colorado, but I, and I shot one actual limit this year and it was actually, yep. I've, so background on me, I'm, I from Virginia originally live in Colorado now, never grew up hunting, picked up hunting on my own about five years ago. Okay. So this year I shot my very first limit ever of, Feels good. of mallards in Colorado. And I mean, it wasn't even the limit that made it special. It was that there were birds pouring in on us from 6.30 a.m. till noon. Yep. And that it was just like nonsense. And like I had been scouting my butt off. I put like 8,000 miles on my truck within like four weeks of moving to Colorado. <laughs> like it was insane. But it like all paid off. And that, that's, that's rewarding. so special to me. And yeah. I have I, – I, I was with one other guy and we took a grip and grim. And I've never posted it. I mean, I have like, I have a very small social media account for the people that I do retriever trial stuff with yep. and like that I've bought my dogs from and a couple of small friends. So if I did, I'd be sharing it literally to 40 people. But <clears throat> I just like to go look at it myself every once in a while. I haven't even shared it with anybody else. I'm just like, this is just like, for me, like this is just the, one of the best days I've had in my life. But uh, that's, that's what a lot of us for me. I have a, in my garage, I've got, like my little office man cave in there and the wall is covered with pile picks and that's all like my favorite hunts from over the years mm -hmm. and it's and it's cool i can sit in there and I'll, and I'll still to this day i mean some of those pictures are 10 years old or older and i'll walk around looking like oh that was you know on this spot on that day yada yada yeah. oh, I, I remember this flock that came in and then my friends that are in the pictures that come in and they're like oh god i remember that day you know it's, it, it's the same it's the same thing that someone would say about taxidermy. I think like, you know, it, it isn't the, mm -hmm. the, the trophy part, but it's the memory part of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I, but I can look at these photos at these, at the pile picks and the grip and grin, I can look at those and, and I can tell you exactly what that hunt was. Whereas if I had to try to remember them just in my head without that, I mean, I, there'd be mm -hmm. no way, there'd yeah. be no way I could do it. <clears throat> For sure. So I love your wall took 35 years of hunting to fill yeah. but any any of these instagram influencers are putting enough putting up enough pile picks in probably five years to fill fill one of those walls easily which i oh, think is sure. part of like what cheapens. like i part of my problem but, with it beyond like the actual negative consequences is like it feels cheap almost compared yeah, compared it, to what you and i are talking about well because there's no it, it to me it goes along the same lines as like what a duck band or a goose band these days means it means nothing mm -hmm. anymore everyone shoots some people shoot 15 in a day so you know 20 years ago i was like oh my god you know you got i heard like I mean, if, if you got a goose band your friends heard about it and people that knew you that lived in the same town heard about it because it was a big <laughs> deal now it, to me it's like who even cares like at what point does that that novelty completely wear off because i mean it's the scientific stuff and, and the research and all that is one one thing but there's the there's the cool factor and yet that has not gone away and it, the the pile pick thing is kind of the same. Like people just keep doing it. And, and, you know, some of those people, they still have a crowd and it still impresses people. And I just, and I'm, I assume it's mainly the youngest of the young that are the really impressed by that. 
Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised, but yeah, it's yeah. I don't even know if it's people are legitimately impressed by it anymore, but if it's, I hate to use this word, but I think it's just, especially on social media and in the comments section, I think it's just uh, some kind of like, it's an echo chamber type of thing. Like people want to post stuff and feel good about it and be told good things. And so they go tell people the stuff that they want to hear too. Makes sense. Um, I, I actually kind of am okay with certain people doing it because I've uh, started a on Instagram. You, know, you can save posts, and mm-hmm. you can make a you can make a folder to save those posts into. And um, when I see someone that's shot a bunch of ducks, especially mallards, in what seems to be really cool looking places, I uh, hit save and I save them in places to hunt folder, and I will white per- white <laughs> white page dot com that person's name. And they'll look up where they hunt and Google around the area on Onyx and find where they hunt. And those are places. <laughs> des- those are destinations for my some of my next hunts. Oh man, I I hear you, and I I will be hundred percent honest. I've done the same thing. I have hundred yep. percent seen pictures and YouTube videos. Like when I moved to Colorado, first thing I do was look it up online, and that's what, how I figured out mm-hmm. using some guy's YouTube page who was a very small YouTuber. I mean, that was like my first big clue onto like, okay, here's a river I can go duck hunt. And obviously it was still a lot of driving, a little, a lot of on X. I I mean, I put a certain amount of miles on my truck this past year and, um, still took a lot of work, but yeah, those, I, I hear you. And I know so many people do that, but that's one of the main things that I worry about as an impact of social media. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I mean, I, I wish it would stop and I hate. I hate the YouTube thing. I hate the Instagram part of that. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's some people who know where I hunt just because enough people see me, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't talk about it. I try to hide it. The The places that I hunt the most, I post very few pictures of because the it, mm-hmm. it's a kind of a dead giveaway as to where I am. Um, and it's some of the most beautiful places in the Midwest, but I just don't post a lot of those photos because to me, to me, my hunting experience there is more valuable than getting more followers or selling a few mm-hmm. more prints or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. So I, I keep that as quiet as I can um, without people. I mean, some people are going to figure it out, right? But that's that deal there with, with the hunting spots being ruined is ugh, it, it's probably my biggest pet peeve. I mean, that bothers me personally more than, the pile pictures and just general idiocy on, on social media. Yeah. It, it, it ruins, it completely ruins places. And not even spots. It ruins States now. Oh we're, yeah. We're states. getting to that point. North Dakota Pop. is North Dakota, Kansas. All these States are just, I mean, compared to what they were even 10 years ago are a completely mm-hmm. different place. Right now we're tracking. So there's the South Dakota Bow Hunters Association initiative that we've supported where they're looking to, they're trying to get the parks and wildlife to re- um, reduce some of the non-resident tags on pronghorn. And then they also want them to separate whitetail mule deer, but predominantly because they have a smaller pronghorn herd than Mo- yeah. Wyoming and Montana, but they got more tech. So, and that's a hundred percent of the product of like it's available and people have advertised it so everyone's gone then you've got colorado archery elk has been 
again, <sighs> one of the most publicized Terrible, yeah. OTC hunt opportunities you could, I yep. mean, I never moving to Colorado was like not even on my radar, but my YouTube feed when I was watching like hunting public videos and stuff, like mm-hmm. the early yep. days when I was getting into hunting and try to like, I mean, I would just absorb YouTube content just to learn yep. and didn't really learn very much. Unfortunately, it was like more just like entertainment, but I thought I was learning at the time. Um, but you know, I was getting Colorado OTC archery videos out the wazoo because that was the big thing. Now there's more nor there's been a since 2015 over 20% increase in non-resident tags and over a 10% decrease in resident tags to the point where in 2021 there were more non-resident hunters than resident hunters. So um I, and then you've I, got Montana that's trying to limit uh, non-resident days at field for upland. They're yeah, doing a, a bear hunting thing. And then I forget what the there's they have a third one. I can't remember what it is. They've tried five, to do some elk five stuff too. now. Yeah, it might be elk as well. But that's yeah. five and I that's only what I know of right now, but that's five hunts or opportunities yeah. that like totally as a result of promotion and pop online popularity have gotten blown up and now the parks and wildlife departments or fishing game have to take a hard look at reducing that opportunity to protect the resource and the experience yeah those are <clears throat> so it's interesting because that i think brings up a couple of things um um one God, I both forgot what I was going to say. I had two things as we were talking there. Um, but as you as you look at one of the big buzzwords right now is you know the hunter re- recruitment. The problem is is as we're recruiting with all this new information because of what that YouTube stuff you were watching, even though it didn't necessarily tell you how to kill an elk, what it did is it, it removes a lot of that barrier to entry of not having the very basic information to say, mm-hmm. wow, I want to go hunt elk in Colorado. What do I need to do? Well, these guys, I mean, they show you exactly how they're doing it. You, all you have to mm-hmm. do is go figure out the tags. Mm-hmm. And then now, and now there's websites that'll do that for you, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, you had to get a paper, a paper thing and a paper pamphlet and read through it where you could hunt. You had to figure out what clothing and what gear and, all that kind of stuff. You didn't know what the terrain looked like. I mean, everything mm-hmm. was everything was brand new. If you lived in Virginia and you were going to go hunt elk in Montana, you wouldn't have had a clue what you're getting into until all of a sudden you drove overnight. Oh, you, you woke yeah. up in the morning and you're in the middle of the mountains. You go, holy <laughs> shit, where do we, what do we do now? But now, yeah. you, now you have uh, a way to look at it ahead of time and see at least approximately what the whole situation is going to be. And that goes the same for, for duck hunting and it goes the same for turkey hunting. Um, and so that, that, that YouTube world has, has knocked, has opened up so many doors for people to get out and hunt. Um, and I think what happens is, is, as you, as you push the, as you get more hunters into it and they travel more, what happens is, is you lose, like, like you said, Colorado is down 10% in resident tags. Mm-hmm. So you lose that resident hunter that's been probably a lifelong hunter, but is is pissed off because everywhere they go, around every, every hill, there's a, a bugle from a guy right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'd be the same way for, I mean, turkeys, turkey hunting has been that way. I mean, it's gotten that way unbelievable. I, mean, I, I was a, I'm as much of a turkey hunter as I'm a duck hunter. And 20 years ago, we would travel to all these different states and, and buy tags everywhere and no one 
did it because, you know, you had to call people and you had to do some work. Well, now Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. You, you see the States that you're supposed to go to because it's on all these places and they tell you opening where they are. Um, And what it does is it makes people that live in that area, not want to hunt close to home. And they're probably not going to only hunt far away from home. So you're recruiting people and providing more opportunity for the ones that are super aggressive, but the people that want to hunt by home, you're losing them and you're not retaining a big chunk of the other ones, which necessitates the Mm -hmm. recruitment. Yep. So, I mean, if the, I don't know if you ever looked much at Arkansas duck hunting, but I mean, it's out of control. I mean, some of the places that we've hunted and, and I'm fairly new to Arkansas duck hunting. I think I started going there 10 years ago. But even the difference between then and now is is significant, I think, in terms of pressure. Yeah. But, I mean, we'd go to certain boat launches on um, big public timber tracks. And I'm sure there's 100 trucks there. And it I don't know if this is an exaggeration, but I swear to God, 50% of them were from South Carolina. Mm. And if you and, and then another, you know, 20% were from Tennessee and then some from iowa and everywhere else in the country Mm -hmm. and i couldn't imagine if i was a dude who lived 10 miles away from that place i mean i would never want to go get involved in that yeah oh for sure especially if you live there yeah you'd be you'd be so frustrated that i could totally see why that crowd would want to leave yeah And, and those are the hunters that are you know they've been they they were born with it raised with it and truly invested in it and you're we're kind of kicking them out of some of these spots not everywhere of course because some guys are going to find workarounds to it right but it's it's a it's a very good um i'd have to assume it's one of the main reasons that people quit hunting at this point that's and that's one of our biggest concerns with all of this that it's it's you know the working class guy who can't afford for the outfitted hunt or maybe to take all those trips but you know they're working 50 hours Monday to Friday and Saturday comes, they want to go to that, the, that duck hole that their grandfather showed them all these mm-hmm. years ago or whatever. And their experience is ruined at like for the benefit of essentially like ecotourism, like hunting tourism, which mm-hmm. this is where we have to be careful because our viewpoint is in, in Hunkwali is not necessarily that traveling to hunt is bad or that yeah, non-resident no, hunting is bad, but regulated exactly and but (laughs) but what youtube has done and what instagram has done to in my opinion beyond what you've talked about where they lower barriers to entry they've made it appealing in a way that nothing has ever been appealing before there's never been in like the you know in human history a lifelike advertising mechanism that is on your person at all times. And that's what Instagram is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's these people are curating content with the goal of building a good, goodwill in their, in their personal brand with viewers um, in order to get you to the buy, get them, get you to buy their products or their sponsors products or whatever it is. But you're looking at it alongside pictures of your friend's babies and the barbecue you went to last week and whatever. So it's mixed in with everything that looks like real life. If you look like yeah. you like you scroll through Instagram, the the you know the ideas that you're scrolling through a window into all your friends' lives and whatnot. 
But when you start adding all these influencers in there and you look up to them all and they all are doing things that you wish you were doing and they're selling you those things and these like these hunts and these places and these adventures like they're they're at they're they're jacking up the value of those hunts the value like the monetary value of hunting deer in in colorado or sorry elk in colorado or ducks in in arkansas it has gone up as if it was inflation but you know, even more so than inflation because it people have attached so much more value to it now because the status, of that mechanism. The status that goes along with status, it. Status, exactly. Um, and it's and it, very powerful. I mean, there's a perfect example of that. This um, 20 years ago, 10, 10 years ago, you never heard of some, you, you rarely heard of someone going across the United States to shoot turkeys in all 49 states that have them. Oh, that was, yeah that was never a thing you never heard of people Mm -hmm. chasing all 41 species of waterfowl it just wasn't Mm -hmm. a thing people hunted around home they had their things they liked to hunt and there was i mean there were i'm sure there was a few guys that did it but i can say that within the last few years is when i finally heard about someone this having to shoot a turkey in every state i heard of the grand slam and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that was popular but that's very different than, I mean, to go shoot a turkey in all 49 states, that's been pushed huge. And that's a serious investment to do that and mm-hmm. travel and time and everything. And that, and that whole, that whole culture between Instagram and YouTube has, has absolutely blown that up and made it a pretty big thing to the, the point where I've some super remote areas that we hunt. I ran into guys that were, all jacked up and they were so excited to tell us that they were chasing their 49 and, and they were like, they were disappointed when they saw that. I was like, Oh, great. Good for you. I'm glad that you're <laughs> hunting my spots so that you can go, you know, check, check a thing off a box and just get on to the next one right away. Yeah. Which, you know, and then, and that one, not only is the status level of that process that way, but you know, the, it's just the, they're, their own status they think is elevated because they've done that or in or in the project so mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. a there's a bunch of negatives that go along with with all of that and, and the hunting spot pressure and ruining is is to me the, the biggest one and i'm fully in favor of I, mean, I live in a state where where we have a lottery for our non-resident waterfowl and we have some of the better mm-hmm. duck hunting in the country and that's the only reason why yeah um, because our 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 uh state to the north north dakota if i mean they're absolutely flooded with with non-resident hunters and my friends that live up there i mean they, some of them can't hardly stand to hunt anymore because they if they're going to hunt the field they got to be there at two o'clock in the morning or every little pond has got two or three guys on it so it's just it's out of control mm-hmm. and that just is not enjoyable and and luckily south dakota has still kept our lottery there's been a few challenges to it um, but most people who are non-residents and who hunt it and who go through the lottery system understand the benefits of it and they want it to stay that way because they know that they're going to get drawn almost every year or every other year and that when when you get drawn you're going to have a successful and enjoyable hunt because you don't have someone you know 100 yards down from you 
Mm-hmm. Could you explain the lottery system in South Dakota for waterfowl for people who aren't familiar and one of them is myself? Okay. So it's, it's essentially just like any big game lottery you'd have in any other mm-hmm. state. Um, I don't know the exact number of tags. I think it's somewhere in the three upper three thousands. I'm not mistaken okay. that we give away um, or that are drawn in, in the first part of June, there's a lottery. And if, if you, if you want to waterfowl hunt in South Dakota, um, you have to apply for that lottery and then as a few, resident or a non as a non-resident non-resident non-resident, yeah, okay. non-resident. residents can just do we can do whatever gotcha. um and so you you apply for that if you get drawn there's and you apply for a couple different zones like um the eastern part of the state or the whole state or private land only which is a whole nother deal because there's a couple guide services that you know push to have more licenses in one specific little area so they could mm-hmm. so they could have more and they got through of course um so they got that that pushed um so the outfitters have a higher allocation of the tag mix for yeah uh, it, it doesn't necessarily it doesn't specifically go to outfitters but it's it's focused, where it, only, it's yeah. focused around where one guy is at <laughs> that has a lot of say yeah it's like all the u- these units. I'm look. I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out what whitetail units I'm gonna apply for for Colorado this year. And I see a lot that are private land only. Oh yeah. That have yeah. Very high draw success rates. Yeah. Um, so it's so it's essentially that. It's, it's yeah. It's same stack, idea. Stack to keep their business flow going. Yep. Exactly. And and so if you draw, um, I think we just changed it. It used to be you had a ten day period to come hunt, and you 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 had a, you put a start date. And then 10 days later, you were done, mm-hmm. which I loved because, I mean, you came once, probably had two, a, a full week with the weekend stretch in there. Um, mm-hmm. Well, now they've changed it to where it's two five-day periods. So someone can come home early, yeah. and then they can come back a full separate time five days later, which personally, I wish it would have stayed at the 10, but, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, it's, I, I could I'm, see both ways on that one. Yeah, for for the people with that received the tag, it's definitely better to have the two five day periods. Yeah, for someone if you're who coming wants from Florida, coming twice is still expensive. Yeah, and and the it's majority of your neighbors that are the, it's, the it's Minnesota the most. It's Minnesota yeah. is the is the big one because they can stop yeah. right across the border. Mm-hmm. And I'm from Minnesota originally, and when I but when I was when I lived in Minnesota and we drew we applied for South Dakota licenses, I was I was still glad then that it was that it was a, a, a lottery. I mean, because like you said, in Minnesota is a zoo for duck hunting. It's busy. Mm-hmm. We knew that when we drew South Dakota, it was going to be good. And we, and we hunted North Dakota also, mm-hmm. and it was good, but they didn't have the pressure like they do now. <clears throat> so we've kind of got that little gate around us to, to keep things good here. Um, and I wish that other States would do it honestly, and, and not, not shut it down everywhere, but just limit it to, keep a certain level a certain standard for the resident hunters and then allow enough that you know you can have non-resident people come in they can go to their guide services they can hunt wherever they want um but not to you so that you deteriorate the level for the resident hunters to a certain point or for the non-resident hunters like i mean Mm -hmm. like i i loved going to arkansas but it just got to the point where it just wasn't as much fun because you'd find ducks somewhere in the woods and you thought you were maybe the only ones there. You had them for one day to yourself and then everybody heard you shooting 
the mm-hmm. next day there was five groups around you or you you got there super early again and there was four four groups already there i mean mm-hmm. it it's such a it's such a different thing and there's some people who that's all that they know so i guess they maybe they enjoy that part of it maybe mm-hmm. that was not enjoyable that aspect of it um the the battle part of it yeah so yeah i already feel like i'm competing with mother nature when i'm out hunting especially yeah. like in january when it's like negative 20 real feel mm-hmm. i don't i don't i don't like to feel like i'm competing with people too i know i always am to some degree you can't avoid yeah. that 100 percent. but there's there's a there's a level at which that becomes like a significant attractor to your enjoyment sure. of that experience unless you are like a competitive person when i look at that i always think of my wife uh, runs marathons. She ran a Boston marathon. And to her, it was this huge goal. But I look at that, I'm like, and you're they're packed in with all these people. You know, Ugh, it just yeah. doesn't seem as enjoyable to me. Like, Seems I'd want to go run somewhere where I'm um, like, yeah, the mountain, like, yeah. do, you know, like, but even the ultra marathons are so popular now. Like, the Leadville marathon and Co- ultra marathon yep. in Colorado is like one of the hardest ones. You can only run it. At, like every other year every three years i think because it's too popular oh my god unbelievable that, that's that's not fun <clears throat> to me like i i'd rather just you know go like go run by myself yeah somewhere with away. a stopwatch <laughs> like and i don't mind duck hunting a little i mean i think there's a certain aspect to duck hunters when you're born into it that you are competing against other people you're we're getting up early and we're going to mm-hmm. beat these guys and we're going to out calm and we put our decoys out better and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And we are all this better. And there's some, there's a little level of enjoyment that I get on a day, like on the, my favorite place to hunt. That's super overcrowded mm-hmm. on the busiest days that, that when we get them before other people that it, it feels good and it's cool. And you, yeah. you know that all the stuff that you've done has paid off and mm-hmm. yada, yada. But man it's it's still more enjoyable when you can just go out and there's and you maybe hear a couple shots in the distance that day mm-hmm. i think all, the cu- the cluster that you can have otherwise 100 i think also the camaraderie amongst hunters is more positive and better i think we're better as a community when that competition doesn't exist i i figured out in colorado essentially from where i am in denver if i just dr- drive farther fewer people like better hunting, you know, and which is, you know, it's same thing, like in the back country, go further back in, you'll find fewer people because they're lazy. Always pans out. But yeah. all these places I went to where, the, where it went, once I started driving further out and there were fewer people, like I would never see more than like one, maybe two other trucks in a parking lot in a state wildlife area. Um, like I would walk by guys setting up to hunt and they would invite me to come with them. Oh, yeah. I met every, I, I moved to Colorado in, on Halloween of this past year, and every guy I duck hunt with, I met that way, either scouting or hunting. They would just invite me to come with, or they'd be like, oh, you're scouting? Like, dude, you want to split up and we can hunt together, together tomorrow? I'll check out this area. You check out that area. Like, wherever competition felt like it was less, I, the interaction I had with other hunters was so much more positive. People were so much more willing to share. Whereas, in contrast, in Virginia... Oh. where duck hunting is very hard the the bl- the riparian blind laws in virginia essentially make it impossible to hunt any of the public rivers i had a boat with a floating like with a blind on it yep. and i mean i was you know 
drawing lines on onyx and looking at like where all the blinds were trying to figure out like where i could find like a tiny little hole to like hunt on um and there were i mean miles and miles of stretches of river that i would ride on where i could not find a hole to hunt on but when i met other people too at the boat ramp or the parking lot or whatever they were always nice enough but not that nice no i, no one's I know like, exactly what you mean exactly and that's i think in this modern era where we talk about so much about how, you know, to secure the future of hunting, it's important that hunters work together. I honestly think that this increase in competition and popularity and this, you know, the, this shiny object we're putting in people's eyes in, in with social media and YouTube, where we're making this level of success and the size of the bull and like all of these end results, like such like a major driver of like, you know what why people hunt and, and like what they're after i think we're actually tearing the hunting community apart more than we're bringing it together through all that we are you put you're putting extra reasons for division and jealousy and egos yeah. and all that right into play and i mean it's hard enough to maintain hunting friendships like with some of your best friends through hunting because there's so many things that go into play with that between mm -hmm. the stresses and the pressures and like i said the, the egos that everybody has and different values and then when you take people outside of the group that you're essentially competing with for all that i mean it's doubly hard those you know that's all exacerbated by a thousand times when it's someone not in your your tribe i guess mm -hmm. and yeah it's uh, uh I almost hate being part of the social media thing of it, but I guess at least I've tried to help maybe show that some of those things aren't the most important, but mm -hmm. it, it is, it's, it's frustrating to look at it. And every time, every time I look at open up a, a, uh, the search page on Instagram and I see some video that shows people talking about a new area or showing, you know, tur turkey hunt in some place. I just, I just, I get so mad. And all I want to ask them is just, what is this going to gain you? Where mm -hmm. are you making, what are you, what are you, you know, what advancement are you getting out of this? Because there's, it doesn't seem like there's anything that could be positive for them to, other than, you know, they get a few more subscribers and a couple more bucks, but you're ruining your hunting spots. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a guy that, there's a guy that has a big duck hunting TV show that hunts by me. And I had a secret little spot and it's, it's not blown up completely yet somehow. Um, but he posted a specific boat launch with the name of the boat launch on it. And that thing would never have people at it. And he posted oh, the yeah. boat launch and of course they shot him up and it was this cool epic hunt. And now this last season, there was six, eight trucks there on different days and there never were before. Mm -hmm. And, and you know it's not it's completely attributable to him i mean people just do more research with the onyx type stuff it's easier to to look and gears better so people are will drive longer distances with uh, in their boats and in their trucks mm -hmm. but you know some of it is and then all it takes for things like that is one or two people if one or two people find out about this stuff and they tell one or two of their friends because once that first group of guys, once it's past that first layer of the mm -hmm. guys who discovered it, you know, the other people don't care. And they're going to tell their buddies and then poof, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. So, the sacredness of, of some of those spots is lost on people who haven't hunted them for years and didn't put in work to find them.
Yeah. And it's, it's such a tough line to walk because I'm not saying that I would never want anyone to find any of these spots. Like the, I don't. some of the spots <laughs> I've, as a new hunter, you know, I've gone out there and I found spots and I've talked to guys who I've, I've at these spots who've been there. Like, Oh yeah, this has been like my little secret for like 10 years. So I'm like, but I got there by like scouting my butt off, you know, I yeah, like, you can fine. find something, you can find something on X, but that can be a dud. You know, you, I find tons of stuff on X all the time where it's like, uh, this place, like people are jump shooting birds off the river all day or sky busting them. Like no birds are landing here, you know, on an, on any, any average yep. like Saturday. But, um, so I'm, I'm not opposed to people finding spots like that's part of the game like that's part of what makes hunting so fun is like finding those new places to go and 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 then getting that success out of it but it's just something about it, it to me the issue is more people selling those things out for their own economic gain is well, where that, like that i think the moral injustice really is what i have no problem with people finding spots at all what i don't like is people handing other people spots. Yes. Yeah. I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine a couple of years ago and he's a duck hunter. His duck hunting was somewhat limited to Minnesota area. And he owns a, they own a family farm in a pretty decent area along the Mississippi river. Mm-hmm. And so he never had to worry about getting spots because he grew up in this area. He either, they owned a lot of the good stuff or they knew the people that owned a lot of good stuff and hunt all of it. Mm-hmm. and a friend of his has a big YouTube page and he said they were coming to hunt at this place. I like to hunt. And I said, no, I said, tell him not to come. And he, he wanted to hunt with me. I said, I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. And they were, I said, he's going to, he's going to name it. He's going to make a big thing about it. They're going to show all these ducks and then people are going to come. I said, I I'm not down with that. He goes, mm-hmm. why? He said, they're just trying to help other hunters. I said, no, I said, think of all the hunters that he's hurting. Think all the people who've hunted here for years and years and have good hunts. And now you you can't just endlessly jam people into the same amount of space and expect mm-hmm. it to work. And he's like, Yeah, but what about kids? I'm like, I don't care. I honestly like let if they if they truly want to hunt, they'll find this stuff out. People did it for years before there was internet. And and we did we did it before there was any internet, and you still found it out, whether it was reading magazines, calling around talking to people and now you have the internet that you can go google something rather than and that and that's even a level better than you know just saying boom here it is exactly where to go mm-hmm. hand it to you right in a youtube video we'll tell you where we were you can look at the background and see where we were mm-hmm. so that the hand the handing it to people is what frustrates me more than anything like, i'm totally cool with people coming to hunt this place that i hunt um I wish it was regulated a little bit more and I wish that people that came would understand that and have the same, you know, the same reverence for the place that I have, Yeah, but they don't because they just want to shoot their problem. They just want to shoot their ducks in whatever manner they can and get heck out of there and have a successful hunt. And they don't worry about it for the other 45 days of the season. And that's the real core of the problem. When people, are just handed these places on a silver platter or they buy a pin because there's people who mm-hmm. do this who, who sell on x pins oh or 
I literally, I, someone sent me an ad yesterday where this guy like was advertising on a Facebook group an Onyx pin for a turkey and uh, somewhere in the southeast, I believe. And um, the 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 ad said, "I'm standing right now listening to him gobble. Like if you buy this pin, you could shoot him today." Oh my goodness! Like people lose their respect and reverence for these wild places, which is like mm-hmm. is one of the biggest. Oh my god! Like mechanisms by which we have to defend hunting to the public that doesn't understand it. it's like, look, we're funding and really caring for these places and these animals and like keeping this going. You know, I mean, like hunt, uh, hunt, between Pittman Robertson and state agencies and hunting licenses. I mean, hunters are footing the bill for a lot of, of almost uh, everything con- conservation in this country. Now, you know, you've got other non-hunting groups like the Nature Conservancy and other groups that do yeah. a c- incredible job protecting like large pieces of land. I mean, I think the nature conservancy is getting close Huge. to a hundred million, hundred million acres. Wow. Um, and Matt's actually interviewing one of their land people and one of their biologists soon. And I am dying to hear about them because I've always known them as in Virginia, they own tons of land. Um, and there were little pockets here and there that you could hunt for like uh, calling does or a hunt club had a lease, but I'm, 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 I can't wait to hear more about, about their side of things, but, but that's, you know, so much of what you, when you look at any social media influencers, hunting social media influencers page, you're going to see them say things and post things about how they're hunting this conservation, they're caring for the resource and this and that. But Uh, when you're selling people like Mm -hmm. this, like easy hunting or like, here's like what you do, like, here's how you get there, you know, and just lining it all up for them. They don't have to do it themselves. People, a hundred, you're commodifying that product by making it easy, one size fits all, whatever. And, you know, just because somebody has to learn to shoot a bow or a rifle or a shotgun to be able to go do that thing. And this, on, on this, under like this formula you've given them, doesn't mean that they're gaining reverence for that place. Like maybe they're getting, gaining some reverence for the skills and the practice it takes and the patience they need to have to be successful. But at the end of the day, you know, it's the places and it's the, it's the wildlife that really matter. Cause without them, like there's no hunting, hunting doesn't yeah, exist. It's worthless. It's pointless. Um, guys, I think I was going to say again about, about all that. Oh, your, the hunting is con- con- conservation thing has always not intriguing me, but I found it odd mm-hmm. because hunting itself as an act is not conservation. No. Hunting, what hunting brings about in a mandated form is, is what conservation ends up being most of the time. Mm-hmm. But again, it's mandated. I don't mean most people aren't doing it voluntarily. Some people obviously donate and buy extra duck stamps and you know are involved in organizations and do that kind of stuff. But I don't know that I love that that defense of hunting as hunting is conservation that much. I don't think that's a great a great defense, and I don't think it's exactly authentic. <clears throat> I think of when I hear that, I think to myself, do you also think? doting money to a political campaign is the equivalent of voting. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. I I hunt and I'm very, I like, I'm very involved, you know, in hunt quietly. Now I have always followed TRCP, BHA, like all these agencies very closely. 
and been like on top of my legislative actions, writing my legislators. I was writing state legislators in Virginia about Sunday hunting before BHA, like really picked it up on a national level and did a petition for it. We had like multiple iterations of trying to get Sunday hunting going until it was successful a year ago, two years ago, and BHA and TRCP jumped on it once it got out of committee. But I was writing my representatives before it got out of committee. But I would never say I'm a conservationist. Like, to put myself up against, like, you know, like an Aldo Leopold or someone who works for the Nature Conservative, someone who works for Fish and Parks, or somebody who takes, you know, 10 days out of their year to go volunteer making Mm -hmm. duck nests or whatever. I haven't done any of those things. Like, I'm not a conservationist. I support conservation. Yes, I would. That's what most of us via are. my views and via like the actions I take and the people who I donate money to. But I'm, like to call me a conservationist is a huge stretch. And I would yeah, agree. <laughs> it, just because you financially put into the pool does not mean that you are a conservationist. Like yeah. I, I think that's pretty plain and simple. I would I would agree with that completely. That's kind of my view. Yeah. Um, it's the it's the time and the work is what I mean it, unless someone's like truly funding whole branches of you know, organizations or whatever. But oh not yeah, many, not many not many people have the funds to do that. If you're buying properties and putting them in the conservation easements or CRP or other yeah. things, you know you you can be a conservationist just through finances, 100. percent But the yeah. bar but that's not like, what most people are doing. Yeah, though. yeah you got to be yeah. Bezos have Bezos money to be yeah, doing be, that because I'm because I'm buying. 10 boxes of shotgun shells a year doesn't mean and, and that and the money is forced to go to these programs doesn't mean that i'm a conservationist you there's must other be things shooting good if you're only buying 10. well no I, I go through i go through more than that <laughs> i go through more than that trust me uh sure, sure. yeah depends on the day i guess but yeah i'll go through 10 in a week or two pretty, oh god no, pretty i'm easily. a little little less than that but it's enough so that's funny yeah. Oh. yeah so, stuff is... so where where are we where do we what do you think about some of the other Hanquiali um uh viewpoints? I actually I wanna so we're redoing our bullets. Um and I wanna read one to you on R3 specifically. Um just because and this is not the final version. So we're redoing our platform, we're trying to We've taken we we did a post on it. We've taken some comments. We've talked to a lot of people, and so we're trying to like dial it in a little bit better, improve our messaging, and include you know maybe some things people care about more. Yeah. Um, but on the R three front, we changed this bullet significantly. Um, so our new R three bullet is it's two bullets now in nonprofits. Um, Discourage nonprofits from recruiting, retaining, and reactivating hunters into our severely overcrowded pastime in their quest for dues and hunting industry sponsors. And then the second bullet is encourage hunting nonprofits to redirect R3 uh, resources into wildlife conservation, habitat improvement, public access, and legislative initiatives that support non-pay hunting. If more hunters are needed, then increasing access and opportunity is the best way to attract them. If you build it, they will come. I think that second one um, pretty closely lines up with what I would feel is the best way to not even to get new hunters, but to keep to stop the bleeding of new hunters Mm -hmm. between, um, between 
just straight up physical access to places to hunt and quality places to hunt and quality experiences to hunt. Those are going to things that keep all you're going to keep a larger percentage of hunters around. Of course, you're going to lose some because of relocations or life changes or whatever. Sure. Um, but I feel like most people that I know who have quit hunting outside of those things that are, are maybe just not directly hunting related. The biggest thing that people quit for is because of uh, lack of places to go and just too many people in those, in the, in those places. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't necessarily go as far as say just completely stop, especially trying. I I think trying to retain current ones is what you're doing by improving the the access and legislative stuff. Mm. Like I think you're going you're going to retain ones right there, and and possibly reactivate them. Yeah. Uh, once, once, like you said, like once people know and see that it's good, people will want to do it organically and not be, um, you know, pushed into it through a, a program. Right. And, yeah. and people will want to hunt because, so like I started, well, I started elk hunting, I think in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I started because I worked, I was at Cabela's and, and there was a, guy who sat next to me I, I worked with two or three guys that were big elk hunters and they took trips to montana idaho wherever every year and i remember that the guy came with a picture and i was just a duck hunter and a turkey hunter i'd never done anything west i'd never been in the mountains hardly other than skiing and i saw a picture of him with his little tent and a foggy day and it was just a crappy cell phone pick or something. His dad took of him standing there with his bow, not even a, an elk. And it was just the mountains and the f- fog and the mountains and his little tent on this little ledge. And I'm like, I want to do that. And I listened to him. <laughs> like, and I didn't even, I mean, I, I could shoot a bow, but I had no clue about how to shoot an elk. But that looking at that experience, I was like, that is what I want. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't having to, you know, like coerced me into it, but I saw that that was a quality. And, he, and he, I listened to him tell stories where, you know, I hiked back in five miles and I never saw another hunter and saw this many elk. I'm like, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. I want to do that. And that's what I started to do. And it didn't take, you know, an act of God to do it. I, I saw that it was a cool thing. Just it had the value that it had. Like, I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to get in better shape, all this other stuff. And it all kind of fell in line. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once you show people that that's what these things can can be like for you, you can have those experiences. Mm-hmm. People will want to stay and they'll want to just gain, just join up on their own and become part of it. And those are the people that are the ones that actually you know, are going to be invested in hunting as a as a pastime, as an experience, mm-hmm. and both on the conservation side and on the qual on all of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are the people that we want on our side, not people who are getting into it because they saw it on Instagram and they think they can get famous because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's such a good point because, and Matt does say this a lot that we hunt quietly is not R three. We're R one. And it's, we only, we care about retention. Yeah. Once you're, once you're a hunter, we want to keep you a hunter and we want to do that by making sure that you have opportunity access and quality um 
uh, all of which defined a lot by what you just talked about with your buddy's elk picture. You know, we want mm-hmm. people like to if people who want the experience of hiking five, 10 miles back and not seeing anyone. Like we want people to be able to have that. We think that's important. And that's like what gets people in the hunt. It's a big part of what got me into hunting. I mean, I was big. I loved backpacking and camping. I spent like my spring break on the North rim of the grand Canyon volunteering at a ranger station. Uh, there was a, a hundred miles from the closest paved road. Um, oh. like, you know, I, I love that stuff, but you know, for me, it was never enough. Like I needed to go like another layer deep and hunting was that, that next layer for me. But I didn't realize that by getting into hunting, I was, you know, essentially I was going to be potentially giving up some of that isolation because of the competition and the scarcity. Whereas like, you know, in Virginia backpacking the Shenandoah national park or in any of the national forests out there, like I could get away easily. I go on backpacking trips and and never see anyone (laughs) unless I went on a big logging road where people who like to overland go, that'd be the only place I'd ever see anyone. If I went into these like real deep, like little hollers and, and, and and whatnot where like, you know, there weren't big views or overlooks, anything that, anything that went up in elevation, you were going to (laughs) see, but if you were going down, nobody's going to be there because nobody wants to see those views. Even if there's like a nice waterfall at the bottom, like, if it's too far back, people weren't going. And they had to um, back up. <laughs> yeah. And that was, oh, man, that was such a big wake-up call for me. Like, I mean, my, starting to hunt in Virginia was a disaster. I mean, my first turkey hunt ever, I was on this WMA, heard a bird gobble, got in there. I was the fr- first guy in the parking lot, first guy walking in, pitch dark. And um, I hear, like, you know, I w- working this bird, kind of coming to us, ends up kind of taking a loop around me and somebody else shot boom uh, oh, shit. that's the okay. most disheartening kinda, feeling in the that world kind of close to me but you know that's all right took out my little i had a little orange vest in my backpack or whatever because the guy in my hunter safety class had told me like you know have some orange on you when you're walking out or whatever just to be safe god damn am i glad he told me that because i walked out and i walked past two or three other hunters who were like you know they were all more than a hundred yards behind me but they were facing towards me working the same bird but their guns pointed at my back Uh, and i was just like oh damn and then i think two or three years later i had shot dropped on me uh in this like little wood duck oxbow lake that i was hunting early season once i mean you know the kind of stuff that you just never want to experience Um, was like all my first experiences (laughs) in virginia um and i know it's not the end of it but like it was just i mean that was a huge wake-up call coming into hunting it was not what i had signed up for you have to be pretty dedicated to make it through that as your start (laughs) really i mean and and for it to not be successful because it's hard i mean it's i mean even as someone it the thing i like about that is when you're not successful in hunting, especially early on, it kind of weeds out the people that are yeah. are going to stay. It's, mm-hmm. it's inter- I mean, I might seem like a grumpy old man from this, but no. a lot of yeah. a lot of the um, there's a lot of the the um, like youth programs that are very focused on just providing complete and unbelievable success to a youth that's starting 
uh, we have a, a goose hunting thing here in South Dakota that has a, they have a youth hunt at this big, huge public place. And it's unbelievable. They, they, they close off fields that have, will have five or 10,000 birds on them and they go hunt them with these guys that are very good goose hunters. And they stick these kids in there and they go and shoot them and they shoot their limit all the time. And that's their first goose hunting experience. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like, so then the kid goes home with his dad and the next fall they go out and they're probably are not going to be that successful. They're not going to see anywhere near that many birds. They're like, well, geez, dad, why, why wasn't it like that? Well, that was an artificial situation. That's not what's going to always happen. I don't, it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. that guaranteed success is not at all what breeds someone to have like that drive and that determination and that just ugh, the gur yep. to make you want to go again. Yeah. I mean, oh, a hundred percent. I agree. I mean, I still haven't <laughs> shot a turkey. So, yeah. and, and I just got off I, earlier today, I was looking for where I'm going to turkey hunt this spring. And I called one of the ranger districts in this national forest. I wanted to go hunt. And I, just because I took the extra effort to talk to the guy, he said, yeah, nobody calls anymore. People used to call all the time. Now they just look at on X yeah. guy. He talked me into five spots and he was like, okay, are you looking at your map? Start here, go down, take this road this wow. vehicle road and you get and like he gave me five spots and like one recent burn and these water sources that aren't on the map like you know th- like that's where like <laughs> and that's but i at five years i'm still making those calls i'm still going after that stuff and i think that's such an important part of becoming a hunter i mean some my dad my grandfather my dad's dad was the marine corps grew up in a very poor town louisiana um, you know, a bunch of old Cajun boys who hunted a ton. And when my grandfather left, he joined the Marine Corps. And then he went to Korea and Vietnam. And during both of those stints, my dad went back to Louisiana, stay with his family there while my grandfather was overseas. So these old men, um, one of whom was like in field and stream at one point, I, um, you know, like some real like hardened longtime hunters you know, would take him out on all their hunts, all these crazy, like all these experiences, but he hated it because it was, they were thinking oil barrels in the rice fields and not seeing any ducks. They were getting ticks and not shooting a deer. Like <laughs> it was hard. And he was just like, that was not his bad. And he never kept up with hunting after that. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's good that he had those experiences and realized it wasn't for him, but I would not be nearly as dedicated and as invested in hunting as I am now, if I had gone out of my first turkey hunt and shot a gobbler and gone out of my first wood duck hunt and shot my limited wood ducks, like I just wouldn't be. I mean, I had to f- struggle and find ways to be successful. And like for me in Virginia, my way of being successful was duck hunting salt water because most people didn't want to sh- shoot surf scoters and buffalo heads in salt water. Yep. But me, I was like, I don't care. Like, I think it tastes great. And I'll shoot bufflehead all day. Like you tell me I can only shoot bufflehead the rest of my life. I'd be duck hunting just as much. I would not care. Uh, have, you need to move to I, South Dakota. I love bufflehead <laughs> so much because they were that early success. Um, oh yeah. They were, they were the ducks that I could always find. Um, surf yeah. scoters and bluebills were the same thing. My parents live on the Chesapeake Bay and I, you know, the cove they live in is littered with blinds, but I found, figured out with my boat, I went out into the bay and I was doing this little John boat. So it was not necessarily the easiest thing to do all times <laughs> a year. Yeah. But I was going out into the bay 
and working these shorelines on the larger bay where there were shallow spots where people like no one was hunting and it was big water. It didn't seem very ducky, but you'd shoot divers out there all that, like all time for sure. I wasn't shooting limits or anything, but I was getting them. Shoot and, ducks. <clears throat> and, and to like, if someone, if someone were to say buffleheads are endangered now, the duck hunting community would laugh. Like nobody would care. They're like, oh, it's just buffleheads. But I would care because I love those ducks. And I love like shooting, even shooting a Merg was like a big win for me, you know? Um, and funny. I think that's important. <laughs> I think in order to be, you know, to be a hunter and who really embodies the North American model of conservation and this idea of not putting a value, economic value on wildlife and really just appreciating you know, game species for the opportunity and the experience. I think you need that struggle. I think it's super crucial, but I don't hear anyone talking about that no, in it, the hunting the influencer culture, except to when they post their grip and grin, they want you to let to, you know how hard that was to be badass about it. Exactly. Yeah. Everything else is, is no days sunshine off sunshine and roses. No days off. It was a grind, but we got yeah. them. Like if it was so bad, why didn't you just go home? Like you have to go, you don't have to go shoot your ducks. You don't have to hunt every day. Like just, if it's that bad, just don't go. (laughs) I got a frost nip in one of my toes just to shoot one lesser Canada on the last day of duck season and goose season in in Colorado. But you know, I'm like not complaining about it and I'm not telling anybody. Yeah. yeah, You're not whining about it. And I almost got frostbite. Like, no, I just, I wanted to be out there. It's my last day of the season. And you know what? I like that Lester's in the freezer and you know, I'm happy about it. I, I'll shoot Lester all day. I love shooting them. I love them bigger than the big, more than the big ones. <clears throat> Just the way they work. And they're kind of, oh, more, they they're like a more so wild, they're like a more wild bird too. You don't yeah. see them in the, you don't see them in the parks and that kind of stuff. They live for no. the North. They don't nest in your backyard. I, yeah. I like I like those little birds. Oh, that lesser to me what meant the whole meant the world. Is it, it was the second or third goose I called in that season. You know, someone who like taught myself to goose call yep. on a ten dollar, twenty dollar honky tonk or whatever. I mean, yeah, little primos. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nothing special, but I got the job done, and I was I started honking at him. I could see him turn his head down and look, mm-hmm. and then he went past me. I thought, all right, and, like didn't work. And then all of a sudden he makes a U-turn and comes right back. I was like, holy shit, I did that. Like Man, that's the best. You know, that that's the moment right there in duck hunting that I just that does it for me. Oh when you 100%. when you turn them. That's uh, yeah. Uh, like that turning I, birds is the coolest thing. I will I told I have a couple friends who are working biology and environmental sciences who are vegans and they love to doing photography of ducks. And I, I told all of them, I said, I will come out. I will take you out during hunting season, leave my gun behind and just call birds. And I promise you, I'll have like pretty much just as much fun turning birds as I would if I was shooting them. Oh, for sure. That's one of them. That's why truth. That's why I got started with photography was because I do it. I do this. Most of my duck pictures are in the spring mm-hmm. because when I'm, when I'm, I'm a duck hunter in the fall mm-hmm. and then, and I just, I can't get myself to not be a duck hunter. And yeah. I just, I can't, it's just, it's yeah. more of me than photography is. But I remember like, I wanted to have more like, well, a couple of things I saw, I saw some really cool photos on the cover of like Ducks Unlimited, you know, way back when I'm like, God, I think I could do that. Yeah. And, and it's just a cool way to be around ducks more often. So 
it's the same deal. And I get to see them do all the same things that they do in the fall. And man, I just love that. And that's, that's as, that those are as valuable to me as the photos that I take, just like having that, those experiences. So yeah. Turn I bet you learn so much about birds, watching them in that context too. A, a ton. Oh, you know, and you, it, it's weird. Some of it translates to hunting. Some does not, but a lot of it just translates to just learning about the birds and how different they are, how much individuals they are. I mean, you, you don't think of a duck as you think of just one big ma- mass of ducks, but man, there's definitely different individuals in those groups and you see it all the time and, and how they fly and sounds they make and ways they'll approach decoy spreads. Cause when you, when you're hunting, you don't, you don't have the same interaction because you shoot when they get close enough. Mm-hmm. Well, I take photos, they can come and land and, they, and, you know, they don't typically stay 20 yards away from me for very long, but, mm-hmm. and they, they swim off, but they're still out there doing stuff and you see all these other things that they do. And it's been one of the cooler, cooler things I used to, God, I used to write about that a lot more. And I don't know why I don't anymore, but things that I, that I see when I'm photographing mm-hmm. and, I've, and I've learned, yeah, there's a bunch of different stuff that it's just a, just a different way to see ducks being ducks in a, natural in their natural habitat not when they're being chased by us you know constantly yeah there's a lot of people who probably know very well how to kill ducks but have no time around them and i'm i guess i could say that about myself with turkeys i don't live in a place with turkeys and i've shot a lot over the years Mm -hmm. a lot and i almost never spend time around them when they're alive because when they come in they get the 30 yards boom they get shot Mm-hmm. And, and most of the time in South Dakota, we're, we're rolly hills enough that they come to the top. You don't see them. They're behind a hill. And also they pop up at 30 yards, head, beard, feet, boom, and you shoot. And so mm-hmm. my amount of time I've spent watching turkeys versus how many I've killed is probably unbelievably skewed. But mm-hmm. for ducks, for ducks, it's super high. And I, I kind of appreciate that. It makes me think about... I was thinking about this earlier talking um, about how many people that are duck hunters, especially nowadays, um, you know, proclaimed big duck hunters that probably couldn't name on, on the wing more than a mallard, a pintail or a widgeon, something that you would mm-hmm. see, in, something you would see in a cornfield. They would have no clue if you stuck a diver out at 200 yards, what kind of duck that is but mm-hmm. proclaimed to be, you know, big waterfallers. I'm like, you know, that's not you're not well-rounded in that respect and that's not yeah i mean you're not i guess you're a duck killer and not a duck hunter and some people would probably love to be called a duck killer because it sounds more badass than you know being a duck hunter because why many of them call themselves that yeah they're looking for that for that side of it so mm-hmm. i get it and honestly i mean there was probably a point in time when i was 18 years old where that's what i wanted to be thought of as too but I didn't mm-hmm. have, you know, because that's all that you saw was, you know, you had the few people that were out there to look up to that there wasn't many other than your dad mm-hmm. were people that were being like that. So that was all you had really. Yeah. And, and people back that, I mean, I don't know. I, since I don't have that generational knowledge, I feel like I'm, I'm lost there. But when I think about these, these things, and I think about what people are showing off on Instagram or whatnot. I, I try to think, my grandfather hunted a lot and I got, he lived down the street from me growing up. So I got to like 
you know, learn a lot about his views of the world and whatnot. And I just imagine showing him some of the shit I see on Instagram oh from duck hunters. If I were to show him that, I mean, he would, I, I mean, his inner drill instructor would come out and he was a drill instructor at Paris Island, like, uh, from Marine Corps. So like, the real deal. legit. And did two tours, one in Vietnam, one Korea, um, on the front lines during the Tet Offensive. So this guy was hard oh. as shit. And he would have hated that. He, I'm just and thinking, what if, the hell are they doing? If he saw them all out there with matching Sitka outfits that he knew were two grand a pop minimum, mm-hmm. and all the piles and the music set to the real and the and whatever and rap, he would have ducks in their mouth, lit those guys up, ducks in their mouth, and laying under laying under piles of birds, yeah, bearing uh, oh, that stuff. That's you know, I've gotten to the point where I just asked. I want. I want to. I think the 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 way that a, a person could could approach that is just say, "Is this something that you would do without a camera or a video camera in front of you? Mm-hmm. Would you ever?" And granted, like I mean, I guess I could say the same for myself. Would I ever pose with my friends holding a bunch of greenheads in my hand if there wasn't a camera in front of me? Well, probably not. Um, but. I'm also not going to stick a duck in my gun barrel. I'm not going to, you know, stick a mouthful of mallards in my, in my mouth. I'm not going to, you know, all these other things that just, they're doing it simply for, for the social media impact. Mm -hmm. And if you just ask that question, so would you ever do this without a camera there? Mm -hmm. Why, when, why would you do it now? And not because like, why would you think it was dumb if there wasn't a camera there? But with with the camera, you think it's okay? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so prevalent. We saw there was a video that went up yesterday. Um, that um, uh, there's been instances of thing like I, we're trying not to make on quietly uh, like uh, a burn page, right? Like we don't want to just go out there and burn people. Yep. Um, we've done something sharing like quantifications of the content of certain influencers or groups of influencers just to try to put some numbers and some like perspective to like the type of content they're sharing and how much of each type just to show you know people who say they're about conservation of the last 20 posts none are about conservation and 20 of them are gripping grins like (laughs) what are they really about yeah and all of that has been received very poorly um, for the most part, that's just a lot of defense. Like people def- like, would just want to defend people like the influencer and whatnot. And oh, yeah. we're not, it, it kind of misses the point. Cause we're not really, we're not trying to rag on that one influencer. I understand that we are like, yeah. you, we, I can't say that we're not, but that's not the goal. We're just trying to show you like, this is what they're really putting out there. Like, is this really what you think like is a value to the hunting community? Um, but there was some, and but when things really go over the line, um, for example, there's this one influencer who does a lot of goose hunting, I guess, in Texas. And his thing is he likes to, you know, like basketball or whatever. When you're a kid, you line up and you uh, high five each other. It's a good game. Yes. He good games all the geese. And then Stupid. in one specific video, he good gamed all the geese, and a couple of them were set on an ATV. And then the guy takes off with the ATV and some of the geese were set on the wheels. He ends up running over the geese with the ATV, <laughs> which to me is like, okay, there's the line. Like, yeah, just stupid. You, Lack of respect. You're now like disrespecting like the carcasses yep. of this game you've harvested. Yep. Like, 
that's a, and you're crushing their breastbones on the ATV. Yeah. Like, like, like if you can salvage the meat on there, I mean, you're a better butcher than I, um, cause I ran over a goose once out of season, just like in a parking lot by accident. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and I, I, it was middle of summer. It was hot as hell, but I went to the grocery store nearby and got ice in a cooler and tried to salvage some of the meat out of there. Cause I felt so guilty. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And I mean, it was almost impossible. There was like guts mashed. spilled all over the meat. It was all mashed. Like I got like one chicken tenders worth of clean breast meat, and that was it. Um, you know, it's, we a lot of this stuff is a lot of like those type of posts and just the pile picks. And and it's funny. I mean, I, I'm certainly not anti death of animals. I mean, I don't I'm not pro like killing i don't i don't think you have to be pro killing of animals to be a hunter but a lot of these pictures and these posts and the way we treat animals the things that we've shot um after the fact it's mm-hmm. just kind of desensitized people to the fact yeah. that these that they are they are actual animals they were a living being not that long ago um mm-hmm. and you know i mean they have a value of their own when mm-hmm. they're alive and when they're dead, we should probably treat them as though they did. Um, exactly. And so that, that bothers me. And I saw something the other day where, you know, and, and this can happen. This, this situation can definitely happen. A guy was hunting and he must've, they must've shot some birds and thought one was dead Threw it in his layout blind behind him. And it pops up and it was alive. And so what does he do rather than, rather than, ring its neck he gets his phone out and records this goose looking around the corner of his blind right next to his face and like why would you post that like like i get that it happens like yeah that maybe that's the reality of hunting but like that's not but what like what are you why would you show that to someone why does someone need to know anyone who hunts knows that that can happen right anyone who doesn't hunt probably it's not a positive impact on them and you know for the bird just get rid just Put it out of its misery be done with it there's no no sense in that and i, I just that's one thing that's just frustrating me. and especially with canada geese is just the way that that i've talked about this a fair amount is the way that that bird's trajectory has gone in the public eye in the past 30 to 40 years i mean when i was little i was probably 10 and i remember we shot my dad shot a canada flying i mean they weren't around anything like there now and one flew over so we were pheasant hunting and he shot it and it sailed for hundreds of yards and nowadays people are like oh whatever we spent hours looking for that thing in the grass and we found it found it like right mm. before dark and i remember i have pictures of me in my basement holding that thing i'm like i can't reach the wingtips and i'm like oh, i was so excited and it was yeah i mean it was a huge deal and i told people at school that we got a goose and and nowadays i mean people just throw them around kick them i mean treat them like you know spell out yeah. numbers with them it's they're just as a species and they just have no value anymore and almost to the mm-hmm. point where they just like completely worthless and it's just frustrating to see something that if you truly value hunting and the game like people say they do and then you see them treat things like that it it's pretty uh hypocritical i think yeah of the, of the of, and it's not it's not just a few hunters it is the sad thing it's it's more mm-hmm. than one would more than one would want to acknowledge i think in reality yeah and it's it's so it it 
it seems it's, it's so frustrating to me because it seems more prevalent with game species that are more abundant. Oh, when yeah. something's very hard to get, people you know, like a pintail, yeah. people you know treasure those. They yeah, hold no one's them up throw like it's the crown jewels. Yeah, no one's, no one's going to run, run it over on the four wheeler. But a can the goose, which in many states can like if you're a waterfowl hunter, a like Canada geese might be your best. Or yeah, or snow geese like. You're going to be able to harvest a lot of those. You're going to have a lot of opportunity around Canada's and snows. Yeah. Um, but people choose to disrespect them because they're plentiful. It's like if something's plentiful, that's good for you. You should be glad. Like yeah, you should. Like there. it shouldn't shouldn't cause you to disrespect that animal and yep. cause ops. It makes no sense. I know it's frustrating. <laughs> this the Canada goose and the snow goose are just. Yeah. I mean, it's to the point where people are. You know, people run extensions with 10 12 shells in their gun so and they and they will shoot every shell at every flock on snow geese just just because they can yeah like you know yeah like as a as a whole we we want the population of snow geese lowered but there's an individual impact where you're you're wounding countless countless snow geese out of those flocks right. when 10 guys 10 guys are in a line and they've got 10 shells in their gun each and hundred shells goes off and they probably drop 13 or 12 mm-hmm. or six or two. And the rest have yeah. how many BBs in them? Like, yeah, it just rubs me the wrong way that we just don't, we just flat out do not care about them as, as beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sh- I know that a lot of hunters will be like, Oh, look at those. Oh, lovey dovey. But you know, if you stop and think about it, I mean, they're a, they're a bird. Would you do that? Like you said, would you do that to a pintail? Would you do that to a deer? Would you do it to anything else? You know, no, yeah, you, you exactly you wouldn't, or hopefully wouldn't, but just because snow geese, there's a lot of them, like you said, and the overall idea of them has changed and become that they're a nuisance. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, if you can do it ethically, yeah, we want them lowered, but not to just spray and pray into random flocks of them. So exactly yeah you, there still has to be eth- like ethics involved like we, it, we you can't be a hunter in uh, the 21st century where we can grow meat and and say <laughs> that you can you, that oh i should be able to just like throw a spear through their gut and chase them because i need the meat like yeah we we the advancement of our society whether we like it or not necessitates us being more thoughtful and humane about the way we go about our pastime um otherwise it'll never survive eventually we will lose the support of the public we are totally at the whim of of the non non non-hunting the non-hunters and the non-anti-hunting crowd the people that are in the middle that are wishy-washy on it that don't really have a thought they're just like oh yeah whatever it it seems to be okay Yeah. And if we lose that and it, and and there are real impacts, I think to, to what people do and what they post, because it was one thing on, on Facebook where your friend group was, was probably more limited and you didn't see random stuff. Whereas on Instagram, you know, you're, I mean, I see all sorts of just crazy stuff, hot rod mm-hmm. cars that I'm 0% interested in, or, who know? I mean, who knows what? Just weird categories of stuff that I never see, and all of a sudden that stuff pops up. I'm like, huh? Well, if I was a non-hunter and you saw, you know, the dude spelling out 250 with snow geese, you're thinking to yourself, well, God, they 
that doesn't seem like the right reasons to be hunting for sure and the algorithm does not discriminate in that respect like it will show you anything that you look at for longer than however many seconds where they determine then you get more they're not interested in this reel and people watch the stuff that they hate as much as they watch stuff that they like like if i get uh, a reel of a hrc trial and then I get another reel of like some Karen in a parking lot. Like <laughs> yes. I probably spend the same amount of time watching both because I hate the Karens, yeah. but I, I, I kind of love to hate them too. Like watching oh, yeah. those videos sometimes. And then I get a bunch more. Yep. If you're an anti hunter and you see it, like, like there was a video recently. I saw some guy who like sent his kid out to hit a sandhill crane over the head with a aluminum oh baseball God, bat. I saw that. And yeah. s- instead of shooting it, I was like, yep. oh, "You had time to take out your phone and take out the bat. You had time yeah. to shoot it." Um, but uh, you know, if an anti hunter sees that, like they're gonna watch the whole. Th- they're probably gonna watch it a couple times. They're probably gonna share it with somebody else who also hates that yep. shit. And then they're gonna see more of it, and then it's gonna keep so. It, this and this is you know you could you could you could attribute this to like lots of problems with society now, but the algorithm perpetuates hate as much as it perpetuates what you like. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that's not we're only se- setting ourselves up for for disaster there, in my opinion. I and that's where I get to the point where I see no real good that can come from sh- publicly sharing dead and dying game animals to the masses of strangers on social media. I have no problem with people who have private pages sharing to their 100, 200, 600 even, you know, like all the kids you knew from high school and stuff. Sharing to those people I think has no real impact and no real risk. But I agree. When you put that risk out there to the like mass audiences and how quickly this stuff can catch fire. I mean, you think about Cecil the Lion and Africa oh God, yeah. and dentist like Imagine if that happens anywhere else in the U.S., like yeah. any state, you know, if that's a left-leaning state, you, like New Jersey, you're, the Black you're, Bear hunting, they got yeah. it back, but they lost it just as easily. Yeah. You're putting it in danger. So, what you know, something that's interesting about it is I don't, if if it's done the right way, I think you, and, and you have to be willing to do the work to do it but you know so whatever i have for followers 80 some thousand and it's been a lot for quite a few years now and i've got 2000 some posts that i've made and i've put up you know out of 2000 what is it 2000 2065 posts i've made i've probably put up 50 to 100 photos that have dead ducks in them that's an amazing ratio for you the number of followers you have that's crazy but most of those are a lot of them are buried behind other photos Mm -hmm. and then the ones that even if they're not they're still you know they're not bloody they're not gross right and i've only gotten i mean the amount of people that have seen my photos over the years is i don't i couldn't even guess how many just different people have seen it and I've probably only had, I would guess, less than 20 like, hate messages out of that. Wow. And I saw I'll, that many hate messages on one post last night. Yeah. And <laughs> triple but, that probably. But, uh, 
it kind of goes back to, I think of how it's done. Yep. And because I'm not doing it to show that I'm, you know, a mean, bad killer, son of a bitch. I'm trying to show respect to the birds and the process and the sport all at once. And, and, and I bet you half of those people that sent me that, you know, there's been, there's been probably another hundred where someone just puts like the puke sign or something like that. And I just delete that and I don't worry about it, but there's right. been some where they, they took and actually wrote out, you know, a, a somewhat lengthy comment and I would write back to them and they'd write back and then I'd say, you know what, send me a DM if you have, if you'd like to. And, and probably with more than half of those people, um, I've had fairly decent conversations with them. And I think some of them maybe changed their mind a little bit about it mm-hmm. because they, you know, I said, you know, you can look through the rest of my photos and, and say that what you're saying isn't true, you know? And, and of course, you know, there's in, in any population and any, you know, um, bit of a, of a population of any kind of group, there's going to be people that are on each end that are the complete numbskulls that, that act ignorant and stupid. And there's people who who don't, as long as they see that, you know, not everyone is like that. And that's not the stereotype that is generally portrayed is not the case. And that most people do, you know, eat what they shoot and, um, you know, aren't out there just, just to shoot random things and can't just do it whenever they want. And there's rules and regulations and we have to pay. And once mm-hmm. they see all that, there's, you know, a lot of them were, would definitely change. I mean, maybe they weren't like necessarily pro hunting, but they necessarily weren't anti like they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's, there's ways to do it. And like with everything that, you know, with every argument that's, that could be made about our whole society today, there's net rarely is one far side, right? Completely. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always that level of um, give and take. I think that, that, to get to the actual truth of what something is. And so I won't say that I wouldn't go as far as say that posting dead animals is completely um, is, is a, is a terrible thing for hunting. I think it's the intent and the manner it's done is, is is a lot, has a lot to say about it, but in general, the manner that it's done is, you know, probably not that way is not is not mm-hmm. done in the in the best way with those with those goals in mind yeah um, so a generalization is probably okay for the most part but you know if you can change it to where you know if we can change that that influence to where it's not that's not the goal mm-hmm. and then i think you could get away from that a little bit so <clears throat> yeah it's like i said towards the beginning i mean you just validated this to like the nth degree but if all the influencers on instagram were Bill Conkey, well, I wouldn't be here. I'd be, you know, who knows what I'd be doing right now. I'd probably running my dog at, at a local field or something, <laughs> training instead of <laughs> yeah. instead of instead of like being on my, you know, having to, having to defend war, hunting war path with this and what I think like, you know, what I think hunting really needs to change. But you know, I agree with. I mean, I think if people, if everyone took your approach and did it the way you're doing it, I don't think Matt and I wouldn't be here. So. That uh, that only leads me to how do we get people to think the way you do and act the way you do online? Because clearly it can work. I mean, you made a living out of it, right? Yeah. Like yeah. The, your pictures and your social media presence are like the basis for your 
overall yeah. like economic yeah. livelihood right now, right? So yeah, for sure. So your proof that you don't have to dead and dying animals do not have to be the ninety percent of your page for you to be a hunting influencer. They can be the you said a hundred out of two thousand. I'm not yeah. good enough at math to do that real quick, but yeah. less than a percent. Like, yeah. how do we get how do we get people to go down that path? So. <clears throat> Man, I don't honestly. I don't know. I've thought about this a bunch, just in other, in other times. And I, I don't get them as much anymore. I used to get a lot of questions about how did you get so many followers? What did you do to get so many followers? And I'm like, man, it's no, there's no like secret or trick or no times I posted or no hash, none of that. Like, I don't think that's what matters. I said you have. If you're if you're looking to get into it for followers, you're you're doing it for the wrong reason. You should do it because you're a hunter and you love hunting and you want to portray that passion that you have for that stuff. Mm-hmm. And if and to get people out of that mindset that the followers and all that means something. Because it, it it means nothing. I mean, and I'm glad it like I'm glad it means nothing to me personally. I don't try to post my face. I don't like I don't I'm, I'm I love to be able to walk around Game Fair in Minnesota, and only the people that I knew before I did all this know me. <laughs> yeah. If I if I have a name tag on or something, oh wow, you're are you the photo guy? Yep. But if, until we can get rid of that like that idea that having that that thing has a value to it, which it really doesn't unless you're going to try to become, have one of the very few people that can have a a career in most of these industries based off of something like this. I mean, it's super small. People would have a job relative, relatively similar to what I have. I mean, there's probably 20, probably a hundred people in the country that are photographers that work in the waterfall realm Mm-hmm. and make majority of their money off of that. Maybe probably not even that many, probably 50. Yeah. And, and, and I think until we can change that, change that focus away from that to just going out and hunting and, and enjoying it for what it is as a pastime, as a hobby, as a, a passion, as something that you love. I think that's the very first step. Um, maybe one little thing, this is one little thing I've noticed that maybe will, will help change. This is, I feel like on Facebook, you do not see the pile pics like you do, like you used to when Facebook was brand new. Mm-hmm. When Facebook's, when I joined Facebook, the first five years, you know, it was all hunting friends for the most part, people mm-hmm. I knew and people I knew and didn't know. And it was nonstop pile picks. Then that's, that is, I barely ever see pile picks on my Facebook anymore. And I got a ton of duck hunter people that I don't know. And you just don't see nearly like you used to. And you see yeah. way less than you would on an Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, maybe some of it will, weed itself out as people mature a little bit and some of these other influencers mature somewhat 
that's one thing I've, I've hoped for, whether that's true or not. I don't, I don't know if that's, it's definitely an idea. Cause I definitely, I mean, Facebook <laughs> has definitely had fallen out of favor and mm-hmm. people share less on Facebook just in general. Yep. I'm a, I've joined a bunch of like the like random hunting groups for Colorado, uh, on Facebook. I have, I have not posted on Facebook since 2016. Um, but I just like use Facebook marketplace and like, from there and, and, and follow some of these groups just to kind of see what's up and see if sometimes legislative stuff comes through there that is good to catch or whatever, just to, like, you know, keep a tab something. I see some pile picks in there, but they're, it's very mod. These are com- more common guys yes. who are out there on Saturday sharing yep. to the group, to that group, which it's like, it would like be the equivalent of sharing a picture to like a hunting forum. Yeah. Um, a private hunting forum, which a lot of these yep. Facebook groups are private. So that's not as big of a deal. I don't think, I guess Instagram would have to go that route to start creating private realms for that to happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> which would be nice, but man, I don't know the, uh, the way the Instagram algorithm works and the way it seems to me that they've set it up to monetize. I don't know if that'll ever happen. I feel like they want the whole world out there. And so they can, figure out what you like and just show you as much as that as possible. Yeah. So you're on there as much as possible. I mean, uh, but the other thing, it would be great if that, if if we're so young in social media, if that evolves, I mean, I I would love for that to happen. And I think it will happen in some measure, but maybe not a hundred percent of the way I've, you know, and I've done a little bit, I mean, and for this to happen, it's, it's a very, it, it, it requires people to have uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. because if you either direct message someone or comment and just show disapproval of something, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're bound to get a ton of kickback on it. Oh, so much. Um, I get it every day. Yeah. Um, and uh, no matter what the topic is, you know, I mean, I mean, if you say, that you shouldn't bite Mallard's heads off. Someone, someone will come and <laughs> and argue with you that you should be able to do that. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, it, someone will argue with you about it. Um, but it it involves difficult conversations. Not people that want to have that. And and honestly, like I, mean, I don't want to have my social media be full of that every day. Like I don't want to fight that battle a hundred percent of the time. So like sometimes I don't I don't comment on things just because like. You know, I don't, I want, if I open social media, I don't, I want it to be a positive as possible experience and not some yeah. bullshit where I like close my phone and then pissed off for the rest of the day. Yeah. And, and you're also like very clearly not an egomaniac. Like there's plenty of people out there who just want to fight and win or whatever. But yeah. like, I mean, if you're, if you're putting the framed picture that you're trying to sell behind the, the, you know, in the second picture on the yeah. Instagram, like clearly you're not out here just to like all about you and the people yeah. who are doing that, that are all about them. And there are people on our page for sure, who are coming to pick a fight, like for their own, you know, because they want to, Oh yeah, but that's, for sure. it's never productive. It doesn't get anywhere. Um, no, it's not conversation and, and it's no, like, I, I mean, even one thing I've always done, this goes back to the days when I was a retail manager was just asking, asking questions. Mm-hmm. You know, you just ask the question of, you know, is this, you know, is this something that 
you you agree with you think you should do this mm-hmm. and just let the people let them answer that on their own and maybe kind of analyze it and granted yep. you know there's millions of people you'd have to try to reach yep and it's a it's a major battle but at some point there's a tipping point where it becomes you know not cool to do some of this stuff mm-hmm. and to get to that it's probably i mean we're I mean, we haven't opened the faucet on it yet to get that to happen but i don't know i i wish i had an answer because i do a lot more of whatever it was to to make it happen if it, if it was easy and it's not going to be easy is the thing i think it i think really what i think i think hunt quietly will pl- plays a role in some respect just bringing up the conversation um you know we've definitely s- seem to cause a little bit of a ripple um and sure. it's definitely gotten some people talking i have i have heard through the grapevine and through the dms from a few people in the industry who talk to us that it's definitely like at some of the shows it's been a conversation like that, that happens like a lot of the booths and whatnot amongst influencers like and i think that's good but i think ultimately we may change the hearts and minds of some individuals but I think it's going to take people like you in the influencer world setting that standard and getting other people to follow it for us to really create an evolution of hunting social media that it's not where the the, bar, the the moral bar of what's unacceptable is higher and the focus on sharing th- like not just what people want to see which is the results and hopefully Mm -hmm. what people want to see evolves as well with this, but showing people like truly what hunting is like the process and and that, that pulling the trigger is only, you know, 5% of that at most. So I Um, wonder, I think that's what's going to take. I wonder how you said that, that people want to see that. I wonder if people really actually care though. They like it. They like those pictures way more. Really? Like Randy Newberg talked about this at length on the episode he did with Matt, which I would highly recommend listening to. It's a really great episode. Okay. And yeah. Randy's been awesome. I DM'd Randy recently and he doesn't even have access to his own social media um, or doesn't like look at it. But his yeah. person told him that I messaged him and he then responded to me, which was like, I mean, awesome. Randy's like a yeah. super thoughtful, nice yeah, guy. Yeah, he is. But he said they, he tries to orient oh, i don't want to misquote his numbers it's gonna be way too deep in my dms but i want to say 30 to 40 percent of their content he tries to orient towards conservation and but it gets no views and all the hunting content gets like the big views so before he quit his accounting job essentially his he was operating like almost at like a net zero or making like just a bit of money yep. on the side and that but mostly the hunting videos were funding his conservation videos um, okay. And that that's, I think now he's, the business is operating like more fully and that he's making like, you know, making money and probably has been making yeah. money for some years yeah, for sure on, on the show and everything. But, uh, but it's a, still the same dynamic. He's trying to make sure that a large portion of his content is conservation oriented, but it gets a 10th of the number of views as big mule mule deer down in arizona or whatever oh for sure the show yeah i'm sure no doubt the actual hunting show i'm curious about like an individual post of just like a dead yeah something dead 
<laughs> I've done that anecdotally. Well, anecdotally on my own, I guess, going through people's pages and looking at the likes. And I've definitely found that, like, on especially on Western hunting pages, oh yeah, um, no doubt that, that the anything that's a grip and grin gets way more likes than the other stuff does. And that's, I wouldn't necessarily say that's the influencer's fault. It's one part people I think like that stuff more because it's just, I don't know. I mean, it's like it's like it's a the, it's it's become the goal. I mean, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's a, it's a sports center top ten highlight. You yeah. know. Yeah. People love watching the sports center top 10. And if there's a sick cricket highlight on there, they're, they'll talk about it at work the next day. No one's going to go watch cricket. No. Nope. It's, it's the they same see, thing. They want to see the dunk or the leaping exactly. touch, touchdown pass. Exactly. And yep. I think it's the same thing with hunting. And then obviously Instagram also perpetuates that even further. So once that one picture starts to get a few more likes than the rest, yeah, then it makes it to the discover page. It makes it the algorithm. More people like it who don't even follow that person, and then you know it's just, just a snowball from, from there. But interesting, but yeah, but I think, but yeah, I, I, I love your idea of Instagram evolving, and I think it maybe won't happen exactly like Facebook will, but I think with the right people, with the right voice, and the right audience, could push it that way. Yeah. Um, if the hunting community would just get on board, I think, and there will always be bad actors and people like people who want to follow kill shot central or whatever, like these crap yeah, pages all, are that, oh that just share kill shots. But yeah. you know, I think that will become the minority if we can evolve and people can follow leads like yours. Hopefully. I mean, I don't, it, it's a it's a lot of individual changes that have to occur to do it, but man, I hope so. It's yeah. Uh, I don't know how it's either going to be that or Instagram's going to cut all of hunting out of out of Instagram someday. Who knows? Did I did I hear like I have a TikTok account, but I don't really use it. Did I hear that there's essentially like no hunting stuff on TikTok now, or like no shooting? I have no idea. Or- I know there there definitely was before, but I do not know if there is now. I or, st- or maybe I like refuse no, to touch TikTok. Yeah, I, I I started one just like I better have one just in case Instagram dies, and then I started it. I used it for like a week, and then got off. Or I I have the page up, but I don't go on it. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, that yeah. I mean, if if Instagram does something like that, you know, then of course, I mean they've. There's been over the years, I've seen a few different social media things that came up that, you know, were the Instagram alternative to, so you could post all these other, whatever you want type things and none of them really mm-hmm. taken off. So they just don't have mm-hmm. the, they don't have the leverage and the momentum that, that Instagram does. So. No, the one biggest player in that space moved towards like draw, like tag applications and stuff like, and selling landowner tags, um, I won't name them just to not name them, but I think you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, like they, they switched their business model to more to that because that's where the money is versus the actual content side of things. Hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I would think, I don't know their books exactly, but I, they seem to pivot more and more in that direction, which would m- lead me to believe that that's where they make more money. Um, but yeah, for sure. You know. I mean, that's, that's everything. That's what all this is. on. That's what yeah. it all comes down to. If it doesn't, if it's, if it, if it brings anything that makes money is going to get more attention and more value and more political clout than anything that doesn't make money. Yeah. Yeah. My tagline has been, you know, 
everyone agrees that hunting for markets was a bad thing, but we seem to have not figured out that creating markets for hunting is not so good either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good one. I don't. And it's and it goes beyond hunting. Honestly, I mean, it's everything oh, that way. And hiking, and backpacking, yeah, so many outdoor activities. En- I mean, environment in general. You know, I mean everything. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I remember the first time I talked to Matt, and I, I told him like, like, look, man, like this is true about hunting. But it's true about other places too. Like, there's tons of hikes in Virginia that I used to love to do that are now overrun. You know, Ugh. I just don't. I wouldn't go anymore because they had great views. And nobody wants to be, and I don't. I didn't want to deal with traffic on my way up to a hike. when you're hiking fun oh, yeah and not god. even traffic to the parking lot traffic on the actual trail it's oh even my worse god. unbelievable yeah. Yeah, I'd sit traffic and then have a peaceful walk but whatever you know but yeah, yeah that's what you're going there for uh exactly. ah, dang it shoot yeah i don't know i hope there's a, a resolution i mean the stuff that you guys are putting out is is encouraging to see and and like like I said, you're probably going to have endless, endless battles for sure on that front. And it's just how it is to, I mean, to change because to tell someone that they're not necessarily doing something right. I mean, you're going to have that, that fight no matter what it is. And oh yeah, we did not pick an easy battle no. by any means. But, no, um, and, and hunting, the hunting crowd is particularly stubborn and particularly, Mm-hmm. um prone to want to think they're right i think more so than even other pastimes and hobbies and activities so yeah yeah and that's how and, it is and it's it is yeah and this idea that the anti-hunting threat seems to make people think that speaking ill about other hunters is perjury yeah um, no it's not which is also a problem too yeah it so is. it's just it's 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 like i said towards the beginning it's it's an echo chamber type of dynamic that we yeah. we need to work our way out of because we have to be able to say who the good and bad actors within our own group are in order to lift our own group up, I think. Yeah, just because um, it's just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Yep. And we should be able to should be able to say we should be able to say as much who we think isn't right as we say who is right. So Definitely. As, much as, as much as they can do what they the things that as much as they have a right to do it we don't necessarily have to you just want mm-hmm. to, to understand that it's it's maybe not the the appropriate method to take yeah yeah and and i can say wholeheartedly after this conversation i mean we may not be agree on 120 percent of everything but i definitely think that you are one of those good actors out there um in a in a in a sea of problematic characters i think um so (laughs) i uh i really appreciate you you know reaching out to us at all and engaging with us it's not something happens often with the the influencer community and this has been an awesome conversation i've really learned a lot and uh, i think uh i think people will really enjoy this one this is gonna you know this there's a lot people can take from this conversation so i want to thank you a lot for coming on with us cool i'm glad you invited me and uh it's fun to chat definitely sounds good man Cool, man. All righty. Well, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll talk again some soon. If you ever come up with anything you think we should be doing or think we should be looking at, you know, I'm, I'd be all ears. I think your, your input and your perspective on things is, is very valuable. Awesome. We can do that. Cool, man. That'd be great. Well, it was really nice talking to you, Phil. Yep. Yeah, you too. Have a you good enjoy evening. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Yeah, man. Yep.
Bye-bye. Thanks, Larry David. See ya.